Welcome back to Jobsessed, the podcast that's all about looking for, landing, and loving your next job from Monster. There are so many distractions from technology, your boss, family. Sometimes it seems like it's harder and harder to actually finish anything. Today's guest has some suggestions to try and help us refocus, ones that might seem counterintuitive. Dr. Srini Pillay is a Harvard psychiatrist, certified master executive coach, and author of the new book, Tinker, Dabble, Doodle, Try, Unlock the Power of the Unfocused Mind. So welcome, Srini, to Jobsest. Thanks so much for having me. It's really lovely to be here, Julia. Thank you. So first, um, I was hoping that you could explain and talk about this word that you use in your book, the word unfocus. What, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I I think, so first of all, I just want to say that I think focus is extremely important and needs to be part of everybody's day. But what a lot of people don't realize is that our brains have an unfocused circuit as well. (coughs) Excuse me. And because they have an unfocused circuit as well, we need to be able to activate that unfocus in order to optimize the way in which our brains work. Now, one of the things that people generally do is they focus, 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 and then get to fatigue. And they're using up their brains the entire day because all they're doing is focusing and using brain energy. And what I talk about in this book are some very practical ways in which you can build unfocus into your day. Now, you may ask at first, why would unfocus be helpful? Because I think for most people, distraction is a nightmare. But I'll introduce you to a couple of situations which I think will help, under, will help people understand why unfocus can get in your, why focus can get in your way. Okay. The first is that focus actually depletes energy in the brain. So if you're looking for a job and you're spending the whole day looking for a job and you're just staring at everything online, looking at newspapers, you may think you're doing the best thing for yourself without taking a break. But the absolute truth is that you need to take a strategic break in strategic ways in between because studies have shown that when you overly focus on something, you not only deplete your brain energy – but you even stop caring about what you're doing. So we do know that focus can deplete the brain and it can deplete your caring about whatever job you're looking at and you're at risk of actually choosing something that you don't actually love. Well, I think that that what's so interesting, if you don't mind me interrupting, is this this idea of strategic, um, strategic breaks. And hopefully you'll talk a little bit about that because I think for myself, for instance, I will... I take breaks, but, but I don't know if they're strategic enough to make a difference. Yes, absolutely. And I, I definitely will uh, talk about sort of how we can be strategic. But I just also wanted to point out that, that one of the things people, when they're looking for jobs, you know, like a lot of people are, are self-conscious because they might be going from job to job and how do they account for the fact that they're doing this? Well, I think one of the things we need to recognize is that we are living in a gig economy. So we're living in an economy where in a few years, about 40% of American workers, for example, are going to actually be contract workers. So it's not that unusual to not be working for a big corporation or moving from job to job. And in the book, I actually describe how when you go from job to job, you can actually learn a lot by making connections. And when you're super focused, your brain is not in connection mode. And that's another disadvantage. I think the third thing is Mm. you may be so focused on one particular thing that you're not aware of competition in the wings. And so when you are super focused, your head may be buried in the sand. And as a result of that, it becomes problematic because you're not aware 
of competition in the wing. So you want to also look at different ways in which you can expand your job profile and your options. These are some of the reasons that focus is problematic. And I think when it comes to strategic unfocus, there are a few things that I would have to say about that. Mm -hmm. One one is that we spend 46.9% of our days daydreaming. And that's, and that's everybody across the board. So almost pretty, 50% of our day. That's right. It's been daydreaming. And, you know, we, we may ask, well, you know, how does that make sense? Like 46.9% daydreaming? Well, why not learn how to daydream in a more productive way? So Jerome Singer, since the 1950s, has actually studied how you can make your daydreaming work for you. And you may be stuck, for example, about like, what job do I apply for? I don't really feel a sense of purpose. I don't, there's nothing I love a lot, or I see these three different things. They could all work, but I'm not sure which job, job to choose. You know, how do I think creatively about my career? How I do think, I think well, about moving, yes, moving forward, right? I think a really common thing that people have trouble with is um, composing a great cover letter, you know, kind of coming up with that great introduction for themselves, or, you know, that, that kind of creative part of the job search, I think, can really keep people stuck. Right, exactly. And so in order to do that, what you want to do is jumpstart your creative brain. And so there is a term called positive constructive daydreaming that actually helps you kickstart that particular creative part of your brain and, and jumpstart it. And really what, what you're doing there is there are three things that you want to do. One is you want to plan your daydreaming time. And usually I recommend to people do this at a time when you're going to be in a natural slump anyway, mid-morning, after lunch, or maybe in the middle of the afternoon when you're feeling really tired and drained and you're going to be daydreaming anyway, plan your positive, constructive daydreaming time then. Okay. Number two, you need to be doing something low-key while doing this. So something like knitting or gardening or walking, something that's easy for you. Because studies have shown that if you're daydreaming while you're just completely stationary, that doesn't really help. So the second thing you want to do is do something low-key. And, and I'll say about walking that studies actually show that while you may be losing calories on a treadmill, it's far more effective for your creative brain to be walking outside. And the second thing is studies have also shown that your mind will be more creative if you walk on a meandering path rather than just around the block. So if you're planning a walk, it's much better to walk on a meandering path that you don't really know. So maybe go on a hike and take a path that you don't know. Or if you're walking through the city center, don't necessarily walk in straight lines only mm. uh, because this can actually increase the creativity of your brain. And the third thing is, if you're wondering, well, how do I start daydreaming? Attention is like a flashlight. And we spend most of our days with this flashlight directed outward. So what I would recommend is turn the flashlight inward and then start with something that is very positive and wishful. So Jerome Singer found that if you imagine something like maybe lying on a beach or running through the woods with your dogs, or you know whatever is positive or wishful for you, have that imagining and then allow your mind to, to wander. And what studies show is that mind wandering in that state is not as random as it seems. That actually there's a part of your brain called the lateral prefrontal cortex, which is like the guiding brain, that actually takes your mind, your, your wandering mind toward ideas that, that, you, that might actually be of relevance to you. So when you're writing that cover letter, for example, and you're looking for that sort of punchy line or something to just draw someone's attention, if you, re if you just write a flat letter, it's not going to get you anywhere. But with positive constructive daydreaming, that's a very strategic way 
plan it, do something low-key, turn your attention inward, and imagine something positive and wishful. And I would recommend that people write that down and start practicing that now in a natural slump time. There are also a number of other things that you can actually do to help to re-energize your brain. So studies have shown that napping for five to 15 minutes can actually give you one to three hours more clarity. But if it's creativity that you're looking for, you really need to be napping for 60 to 90 minutes because your brain needs to go into a deep sleep so that your brain can start shuttling memories around and and has enough time to recombine thoughts to give you that creative idea. So if you wanted to just be more productive, a short little tiny nap might be helpful. But if you actually wanted to produce something, you, you know, creative, the longer the rest is more recommended. Exactly. And, and, and if you're in a state where, 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 you're, where you're wondering, you know, like let's say you're on a conference call or you're listening to a video and you're trying to absorb the information about how to look for your next job or what to do, or even if you're listening to this particular podcast, mm-hmm. one, one of the things you may not think to do is doodle. You know, like at school, everyone's always screaming at everybody. Your teachers are saying, you know, you know pay attention, concentrate. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Jackie Andrade and her colleagues actually found, and she was a psychologist, they actually found that if they took two groups of people and they gave them a long uh, sort of message to listen to. And after that, they had to remember eight names and eight places. And what they found was that those people who doodled had 29% more memory than those who did not. So, so doodling, you know, contrary to what we might think, you may think you're just distracted by just scribbling on a piece of paper. But when you do that, you're tapping into your unconscious brain and you're allowing, you're allowing your unconscious brain to participate in your decision-making. And it also makes the brain more flexible, so it's more like an absorbent sponge rather than a stiff sponge. And I think, you know, if, if people are wondering, like, how do I make the best decision for my job? Or what should my job search strategy be? There's a really profound thing about the way the human brain works, which is that 2% of mental activity is conscious, and 98% of mental activity is unconscious. So what this means is that any job strategy that you have is like a plant, but that plant has to, be, has to have its roots really very firmly in the soil of the unconscious. And the techniques that I'm, I'm telling you about are the techniques that I describe in Tinker Dabble Doodle Try that actually help people uh, learn how to till the soil of the unconscious so that their strategies become much stronger. And that's the reason that we need to think about these different things. And I just thought I'd stop and ask you if you have any questions about that, or I can go into more techniques that people can start to think about. No, this is so helpful. And I think that's a good point. It's just why even if you aren't you know, uh, currently looking for that next brainstorm of an idea, just to maybe try practicing some of the unfocusing, you know, the, the, um, the, the daydreaming on your morning walk and now, you know, and to kind of till the soil a little bit in that way. It sounds, sounds like you're saying, you know, don't necessarily wait till the second that you need the inspiration, but to kind of start training your brain. Is that? Yes, that's, that, that's exactly right. And, and I think, you know, like, like a lot of people feel disillusioned sometimes, like maybe they're looking for jobs after they've been fired or they can't, they're, they're just looking through a bunch of jobs and they don't really know what they want. Well, one of the unfocused techniques that I recommend, and for any of these techniques, I recommend 
building it into a certain time of your day. So, for example, with napping, you know, a lot of people after lunch, they just feel like they can't concentrate. So why would you drag yourself through an exercise rather than replenishing your energy with that 5 to 15-minute nap? And in fact, a lot of corporations now have places where people can nap than, than actually pulling you through the, pulling yourself through the day. But going back to the original point, I, if, you feel, if you're feeling disillusioned and disheartened about the fact that there's no particular job for you, mm-hmm. I recommend using possibility thinking, meaning the hypothesis that there is a job out there somewhere and that you can look with a lot of gusto and motivation because it will come to you. Now, this is not just positive thinking. Like a lot of people would think, oh, am I just saying, you know, be gung-ho and chill yourself through life? Right. I'm not actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm not actually saying that. What, what I'm saying is that if you look at studies of people who expect positive things, in their brains, there's an increase in dopamine. And what this means is that the reward pathway in your brain is activated, which means that if previously you only had two hours of energy to, to look through job searches, now you're going to feel more motivated to look through them. And the second thing is that it also increases opioids in your brain, which means that you feel less stressed because it's such a stressful time sometimes for people between jobs Mm -hmm. that you want to learn how to de-stress. And so using this kind of thinking where you use self-talk to change your brain by saying things like, I don't know what job I'm going to get, but but what I do know is that there are a ton of people out there who have found the jobs that they're looking for by just going through things, trying out things, making mistakes, changing course. This, This mental attitude is what this book is about. Because I think that if we have this attitude of I've got to look for a job and I've got to find the perfect job and this job is something I've got to do for the rest of my life, I think we're not really in touch with the way the world is working because jobs are changing so much. Technology is changing so much. There probably will be jobs in 10 years that we've never heard of before. Absolutely. So for that reason, you know, I think if, if we refer back to the speech of Steve Jobs that he gave at Stanford where he said, he had done this calligraphy class after dropping out of school and had no idea why he was doing it. He was just interested in calligraphy. And then several years later, when he was designing fonts for the Mac, he remembered the stuff from this calligraphy class. That's an example of how you may not know consciously why you're doing what you're doing, but later on in life is when you can learn to join these dots. And possibility thinking is a way of changing your brain blood flow so that you can actually work more effectively. So one of the things that I talk about is the extensive research that we have that demonstrates that if you're feeling stressed out or anxious, there actually are very specific ways you can drive brain blood flow away from the anxiety center of your brain back to the thinking brain. And by learning these techniques and learning how to use self-talk, you can actually allow yourself to feel less stressed. So one overt example of this is uh, is a study that showed that if you if you are trying to cheer yourself up, let's say you say, you know, Julia, you can do this. Now, a lot of people will say things like, you know, I'm going to crush this. Mm-hmm. Well, st- studies have shown, like let's say it's before a job interview, right? And you're like, okay, I need to psych myself up. How do I psych myself up and change my brain so I feel less stressed and more confident? Well, studies have shown that the best way to do that is to call yourself by name and speak in the second person. Rather than saying, I'm going to crush this, the much more effective way to do that is to say, Julia, you're going to crush that. So when you do that, you actually become far less stressed. And in addition to that, 
you become much more relaxed and much more confident. And these are the kinds of subtleties we don't really realize. But if it sounds crazy to you to talk to yourself out loud, you can do this in your mind as well. But think about tennis players like Serena Williams who are walking back to the baseline. When they're trying to encourage themselves, they say, come on, Serena. Like Serena is not going to say, I'm going to crush this. She's going to learn to say, come on, Serena, because by creating that kind of self-distancing, you can de-stress your brain. That is fascinating, and it actually makes sense. You know, when you say that, it makes a lot of sense. Um, what's another example? I'm very curious now of, of another way that you can find a way to de-stress and motivate yourself. Um, that's one of these. That, I mean, what I love sure. is that, 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 that these that, that these techniques are have been you know are backed in research, and it's not just you know you're not just making yeah. it up out of thin air. No, absolutely. And, and actually what these, these techniques actually show that you can change your brain blood flow just by using self-talk. Mm. And, you know, what's, what's, so I'll tell you a couple of other things, principles to remember. One is an extensive body of research has shown that if you use the word not when you're formulating your goals, like let's say before an interview you say, I must not lose my temper or I must not stress out. Under, under conditions of uncertainty, your brain does exactly the opposite of what you want it to do. And the classic example is you're holding two glasses of red wine, you're going past a white couch, and you're saying, do not drop the wine <laughs> to your brain. And, and the next thing you know, the wine is all over the couch. And so people ask, you know, like, why does that happen? Like, you know, I'm a smart person. Yeah. Like I, like I just said, do not drop the wine. And it was as if my brain was like, oh, really? Well, just drop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what studies have shown is that if you say do not drop the wine, under conditions of uncertainty, your brain has to help you move forward, but it also needs the resources to inhibit a response, meaning to steady your hand and to make sure that you don't trip over something to drop the wine. But when you are under stress, your brain's resources are all used up. And so it doesn't have the resources to essentially hear the word no. And funnily mm. enough, this has also been demonstrated for office romances. So if you're working in an office and you say to yourself, oh, my God, I really love this person, but I must not fall in love with them. Studies have shown that you are much more likely to have a relationship with somebody you explicitly say do not fall in love with that person. So I think when you are formulating your goal, rather than saying do not stress out at the meeting, say relax at the meeting. Rather than saying I do not want to have a relationship with this person, say I, I want to find a relationship that allows my life to proceed in a smooth way. So, <laughs> right. so the whole idea is just to be a little vigilant about the self-talk. You know, another thing that I generally talk to people about, about de-stressing, is there are five different techniques that I think can be really helpful. And I, it's defined by the mnemonic circa. So if, if people would take out a piece of paper and a pen and write down C-I-R-C-A, and I'll tell you what each of those stands for. So the first is chunking, which basically means when you tell your brain, so when you're looking for a job, you feel like, oh my God, I'm never going to find a job. Or when you have some kind of problem, you feel like, I'm never going to be able to fix this problem. Because somehow your brain insists everything has to be done in two and a half seconds. But the truth is, if you say, I'm going to be looking for a job over two months, and I'm going to be dedicating this amount of time per day, your brain starts to relax because it's getting the message that everything doesn't have to happen instantaneously. Right. The, the I is for ignore mental chatter. And ignore mental chatter means essentially mindfulness. And although it sounds so sort of, you know, just blase, the reality is that if you just spend 
start off with five minutes a day and increase to 20 minutes a day of just taking that attentional flashlight and placing it on your breath, closing your eyes, and just sitting there, your, your brain will, will take blood away from your anxiety center and send it back to your thinking brain. In fact, studies have shown that this can even change your genes. It's a very powerful technique. If you're the kind of person that says, listen, I can't sit still. I'm definitely not going to be in some kind of yoga position. And I don't want to be like closing my eyes in a chair. I'm fidgety. Well, then use an online app like Headspace. Mm. And if you go to Headspace, this can actually help you with your mindfulness as well. The R in Circa is for reality check, which essentially means this too shall pass. Like a lot of times your brain catastrophizes, right? It's like, oh my God, I lost my job. I'm never going to, nothing's going to happen. Like, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm like 27 mm. or I'm 57. You know, I mean, don't, in this day and age, that's, it's like you, you are probably, it's prob- whatever the negative thing is, it's going to pass. And by just saying to yourself, this too shall pass or whatever your version of that is, you will allow your brain to relax more. The, the fourth thing is control check. And I always say to people, you know, you've got a certain amount of brain resources, use it well. So some people will worry about the stock market, they worry about the weather, they worry about the presidency. It's like, well, if you're going to do something about it, then it makes sense to worry about it. But just worrying about something and using your brain resources for nothing, why not choose one thing that you want to let go of and to really make it practical? I know people who have benefited tremendously from things like writing out a little note, saying, let's say you want to let go of the bad way in which you had to leave your last job. Just write the bad way in which I had to leave my last job on a piece of paper, put it in a bottle, and find a place where it can float away. And that act in itself is an act of what we call embodied cognition, which, is, which means you're demonstrating to your brain that you are actually letting go. It's not just a mental process. And if you want to use just a mental process, I like a couple of things. Wayne Dyer uh, used to say, he just said, whenever he had negative thoughts, he would just say, next. And I like, mm. using, I like using the phrase, drop it like it's hot. So, <laughs> if, so if you're in a place where you're like, okay, whatever thoughts I have, they're going to be so boiling hot, I'm just going to drop it. So say, drop it like it's hot, and that's done. Right. And then, and then the last thing is attention shift, which means rather than looking at the problem, allow your attention to be on a potential solution, even if you don't know what it, what it is. So rather than saying, I mean, how many people at the age of 63 have found a new job that has allowed them to feel great. Probably not a lot, right? Well, maybe that's correct, but that's not the question you want to ask. With possibility thinking, you want to ask, what are those exceptions? Those people who at the age of 63, or whatever age you are, have found a job that has truly changed the way they feel about themselves and their engagement in their lives. How do I emulate an exception rather than the norm? And so those five things, chunking, ignore mental chatter, reality check, control check, and attention shift are ways in which you can move brain blood flow from your anxiety center back to the thinking brain. That is so helpful. And I think that that's really it. I think anxiety can overwhelm a lot of job seekers in, 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 Everything you talked about, you know, this idea of I'll never find another job, whatever, whether I'm 27 or 63 or, you know, um, and how to, how to kind of, you know, focus in on these tasks themselves, even if you think you might find another job, you know, how do uh, I get there? Um, yeah. Our brains can stand in the way of, of, of letting us get to that place, it seems. And, um, and, and, a, and a lot of what you said sounds very helpful to, to help people push through. 
Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people sort of have this feeling sometimes, like, I just can't think my, think think through this situation. Like, I don't know what to do about my next job. I'm completely confused. Like, why is this happening? I feel like I'm just dabbling and I'm just being a dilettante and spending one year in marketing and one year in this and one year in that. And in the book, I point out a couple of examples of people who dabbled in completely different disciplines and really it really changed their lives. So mm. Albert Einstein, for example, actually... Uh, studied the mathematical theories of Henri Poincaré, who was a mathematician. It wasn't Einstein's primary field. But because he studied those theories, he extended Poincaré's theories by two steps and discovered the theory of relativity. And at the same time, Picasso also studied the theories of Poincaré. Now, you might ask, like, why would an artist like, have a group of people he used to hang out with and then start talking about mathematical theories? Well, in the midst of talking about math- uh, mathematical theories, he discovered the notion of the fourth dimension. And so he painted one of his most famous paintings in two different ways on the same canvas, which is La Demoiselle d'Avignon, and then launched the whole idea of cubist art just by looking at a field completely different. So if you're afraid that you've been doing things that are a little bit too different, recognize that along the way, if you build these unfocused periods into your life, you will be able to become more creative. And I think for me, one of the funnest exercises is something that I call in the book, psychological Halloweenism. Mm. <laughs> what and, is that about? <laughs> uh, and, and that's really, it's a fun technique. Which, uh, so a study showed, and, and they defined, they did a, you know, a general survey of what stereotypes were, and they found that uh, the stereotype of a creative person was an eccentric poet, and the stereotype of a non-creative person was a rigid librarian. And of course, not all poets are eccentric and not all librarians are rigid. Mm-hmm. But, but those two stereotypes fit, fit, fit the mode. So what they did was they had people try to solve a creative problem. Like they give you something like a word like brick. And they would say, in the next minute, give me as many uses as you can for a brick. And that tests the way in which your brain can come up with novel ideas. And what they found was that if you embodied the identity of the eccentric poet, you were statistically significantly more likely to be more creative than a person who embodied the identity of a rigid librarian. And in fact, the same people, if they were a rigid librarian in in the first condition, if they took on the eccentric poet identity, they also became more creative. So what I say to people is, if you can't make headway in your thinking and you're stuck in any way in your life, ask yourself, choose somebody who you think is a complete, even someone you don't know, but you have some ideas about. And if you choose that person, you might ask yourself, what would this person do? And, and, what, and, and by, by thinking through their lens, you will begin to see options that you haven't seen before. Because stress actually precipitates habit pathways in the brain. We get stuck in habit hell, and so we do the same thing over and over again. And so one of the things we want to do from time to time is to practice the psychological Halloweenism. I mean, if you really want to get into it, you can maybe even dress like them. But I always, I always say to people, you can try this in an innovation group, you can try this in a group of other people who are seeking jobs, or you can also try it at the dinner table. You can try it out with family members and say, tonight, why don't we all choose a certain identity that we want to be? And everything that we say should be through that lens. So, for example, let's say you feel like, you know what, I'm a bit too stuck in routine, and I care too much about what people think. So tonight, what I'm going to be is Mick Jagger. Like, I'm just going to be Mick Jagger about everything. And if somebody <laughs> says, like, like, you know, like, what are you going to do? Well, I like to have mustard. People are like, come on, you can't have mustard over that thing. You're like, listen, 
I'm doing what I want to do. Like I want to do what I want to do. And the whole idea of embodying whatever that free spirit is will eventually get you to a place where you won't even be able to identify yourself. But what's cool about it is you will see options that you haven't seen before because studies show that you can actually become far more creative. Do you think that it works in the opposite way? If, like if you feel like you're too kind of unstructured and you want to be a little bit more you know, productive or focused or whatever you think perhaps you could say, I want to do things the way a rigid librarian might and see if I can get more organized today. Or do you yeah. think? <laughs> no, well, so I, I, I don't know that because the studies haven't looked at that specifically. But I think if you're trying to increase your creativity, mm-hmm. you probably don't want to be like a rigid librarian. But I, you know, the paradox here is that to become more focused, you actually have to build more unfocus into your day because your brain can only take so much focus. And so I think if you want to become more focused like a rigid librarian, then maybe what you want to do is build in periods of rest, what I call sort of intelligent cognitive rest, so that your brain can really operate at its, at its optimum rather than just running on empty all the time. And, and I agree. I think that, that, that the whole idea of being, what people don't often realize is that being more organized does not work if it only comes from effort. Being more organized often requires, the most powerful organizing quality is inspiration. Like those people who get up in the morning, start working on their stuff, move through the day, the people who are inspired by what they do are much more likely to organize their lives than the people who have to use effort because effort just drains a lot of energy. So I would say that, that I think inspiration is something we need to look for. And if you're thinking, oh, that's great, well, you know, whatever, like how am I going to get inspired? In the book, I actually describe that there's an architecture and a way in which you can increase the chances in which you get inspired. So the, there's a three-part sort of thing to think about. The first is most of us are inspired by beauty, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So whether it's a dog or a particular martini or a beautiful sunset or whatever it is you want to look at, choose an image and develop an image bank so that you can always have access to reset your brain to be inspired by whatever beautiful image you're looking at. And the second step is to go for this long walk because your brain, now in the state of inspiration from the video or the picture that you've chosen, will start to make connections and then come back to your desk and you'll see how your brain will be acting in a very different way through this idea of inspiration and you'll be far more motivated because you'll be connected to what I call your mental six-pack, which is your psychological center of gravity. In the same way that you need to be connected to your core in order to move any kind of any part of your body like you need to do core exercises you also need to do these unfocused exercises so you can activate your mental six-pack and so I, I know we've talked about a lot of different things but what i would say to people is choose a time in your day to start whether it's mid-morning after lunch or mid-afternoon choose just start with just 15 minutes ask yourself do i want to use positive constructive daydreaming do i want to use napping do I want to use doodling? Do I want to use psychological Halloweenism? Do I want to use possibility thinking? Or do I want to use some form of self-talk that will get me on my way, whether it is avoiding the use of the word not or allowing yourself to speak to yourself in the second person or allowing yourself to use something like Circa where you can walk yourself through your stress. And with any of these unfocused techniques, you are bound to change your brain 
and improve your life. And as with anything, I think one step at a time is the way to do that. You have just given us so much to think about and so much to walk away with and actually use, which is fantastic. I can't wait to start trying some of these myself. I want to go on a long, winding walk right now right. and um, after awesome. looking at something beautiful, though, um, which in, yes. in my case, I think, might be a picture of a cat but um, or some type of fun video. But this has been so helpful. Thank you so much. And, um, and, and your book is available now. Is that right? Did it just recently but was published? That's right. It is available. Yep. It's Tinker, Tinker, Dabble, Doodle, Try. Unlock the Power of the Unfocused Mind. You can get it at any local big bookstore or on Amazon or on my website as well. Excellent. Yes, as I, I was talking with you before the um, podcast, before we started recording, and I was mentioning that to a friend of mine who has some trouble focusing, and so she just downloaded your book instantly from the Kindle. So um, hopefully that is helping her right now, which I, I'm sure it is. But thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk with us. And I think this is the, you know, anxiety and stress and this feeling of being overwhelmed um, is something that I know a lot of job seekers struggle with. And um, you know, it's, and especially when it's happening all in your mind and, and, and you don't have any way to, you don't feel like you don't have any way to change that. Uh, you've given our listeners some, some great tools. So thank you again. Um, we really appreciate it. Hopefully you are able to take something away from our talk with Dr. Pillay to help you find the unfocus you need for your job search. If you haven't listened to some of our earlier podcasts, check them out because we've featured some other really interesting experts with the kind of advice you might not have thought about before. And of course, we're always adding new jobs at Monster. So start searching today because you just don't know when that right fit for you will be posted. We'll be back with another episode of Jobsessed very soon. Until then, if you like what you've heard, we'd really appreciate a review on iTunes. And if you have any ideas for upcoming podcasts, send me an email at julia.gaynor at monster.com.